Welcome back to the Eye on the Tigers podcast. I am Dave Matter, Mizzou beat writer for St. Louis Post-Dispatch and stltoday.com. Happy New Year to everybody. I'm joined by Ben Fredrickson, Post-Dispatch columnist. Ben, I guess this is our first pod of the uh, of 2022. I think we're recording this on, on the 5th. I think it's too late to still say Happy New Year. There's like a rule that you have to cut that off. I think around the third. So, but this is happy new year to our listeners. Cause we haven't, we haven't done a pod in a while over the holidays. We took a little bit of a break. Uh, schedules got a little, little congested there, but we're going to talk a lot of Mizzou football today. Looking back on Missouri six and seven season, Eli Drinkwitz's second, uh, second campaign in Columbia. So many unanswered, unanswered questions that have to be figured out here over the next few weeks and months. But Let's start off with uh, just quick early impressions on on what you thought of uh, Eli Drinkwitz's second season. We'll get into the minutia here, but what what's your first takeaway when you think of this season under Eli Drinkwitz? A little scattered, right? Yeah. Um, kind of mixed messages to some degree. Um, first of all, let me start here. Speaking of scattered, I think it's okay to say Happy New Year as long as your Christmas tree is still up. Uh, mine, <laughs> mine is. And, and that's probably that's probably embarrassing to admit, but um, so I, I can say Happy New Year and, and Happy New Year to you, Dave, and, and to our listeners. Scattered a little bit, kind of like my uh, my post Christmas tree tree taking down plans, I guess. Um, mixed messages. Uh, I, I thought going into the year that it could have been an eight win season for the Tigers, and I thought that would have been really impressive, um, even if they got to eight with a bowl win. Um, I thought that would have you know boded really well for what Eli Drinkwitz has rolling. Instead, they get six. It's a losing season with the bowl loss. To me, the, the biggest games, the swing games we saw them from SEC media days, the things that kind of set the tone for this season were the, the Boston College game. Um, also, you know, we knew that Kentucky game was going to be big. Now, I don't think Kentucky got enough credit um, ahead of the yeah. end of the season. And I think we did because we knew Mark Stoops is really good. Um, but if you watch Kentucky beat Iowa in its bowl game, that's a, that was a really talented team. And that has kind of been the team that either is better or worse than Missouri. And it kind of influences their spot in the East standing. So um, they got kind of humbled quickly. Um, we saw some positives, perhaps the biggest being off the field and recruiting, which uh, that's the, the one, the biggest and, and most undisputed thing Eli has going for him right now is recruiting. Um, but we saw also some, some signs that he's going to have to get some things figured out if those recruiting wins are going to pay off on the field. Quarterback is going to be a big one for this team. It should be Eli's bread and butter, but also the defense, the other side. We saw Steve Wilkes look like a guy who was in over his head. Now things got better, but how does that evolve? So those, those things jump out right away. Um, but uh, I don't feel like uh, passionately – one way or the other. I think it was, it's still kind of in a wait and see mode with, with this coach after year two. Yeah, I agree for sure. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a bigger body of work than we had after that weird first year that was an sec only schedule with no bowl game because of COVID. Uh, so, but I do think there's more to measure him on now. Uh, so let's just, I, I want to put things in, in context. Um, I looked at the last, last eight Missouri head coaches and their records through two seasons. Now, everybody's dealing with different factors, different conferences, different schedules, different number of games played. Drinkwitz was 11 and 12, 8 and 10 in the SEC. He's got more games against the SEC because 
of that SEC only schedule in 2020. 11 and 12. Okay. Barry Odom was 11 and 14. Gary Pinkle was 9 and 14. Larry Smith, 6, 16 and 1. Uh, Bob Stahl, 6 and 16. Woody Woodenhofer, 4 and 18. Ouch. And then you go to Warren Powers, the late Warren Powers, who we lost in 2021, 15 and 9. So winning percentage-wise, this was the best first two-year start of any Missouri coach since Warren Powers. And that, that fall, that's also true if you look at conference records. Uh, Drinkwitz was 8 and 10 in the SEC. Odom, 6 and 10. Uh, Pinkle, 5 and 11. Larry Smith and, and Bob Stahl, both 3 and 11. Actually, so was Woody Woodhoffer, 3 and 11. Powers was seven and seven, 500. Uh, so best winning percentages in a long time after, after two seasons. You also throw in he had to deal with COVID and all of that that impacted the roster. Now that impacted everybody, not just Missouri. So I think if you put it in perspective like that, okay, uh, maybe it's a little bit better than what this, the, the raw numbers suggest because this is a hard job at a hard place to win in a, in a really tough conference. So I, I think that at least adds a little bit of context to, to what these last two years were. But I do also think that, and you said mixed messages, that, that really reminded me of what Eli's big message going into the season was close the gap, close the gap, close the gap, close the gap on Georgia and Florida. Well, after two years, I think maybe they should close the gap on Kentucky and, and Tennessee also, um, because we saw what Kentucky did. They, they had a really nice year as you'd expect, like you said, under Mark Stoops, Josh Heupel did some really positive things at Tennessee. I think they got robbed out of that bowl game, but either way, uh, Tennessee was, even in the games they lost, they were competitive in every game this year and, um, you know, had a chance to win more games than they did. 2-0 and against Missouri, against Eli Drinkwitz still, not Heupel, but, but Tennessee is. Uh, so I, I think there's more ground to make up on the field than maybe any of us thought going into this season. The, the East is not getting any easier. We've seen the strides that South Carolina made under Shane Beamer. Um, Florida, who knows what's going to happen there, but I do think they're positioned to get back to being what Florida was under Billy Napier, maybe more than they were with Dan Mullen. Uh, so, yeah, it's, this is not an easy job. There's, it's, a, it's a tough, tough ask to build a winner in this division and this conference. But you touched on the recruiting. That's where it's got to start. And Eli, just based on recruiting rankings, has done it better than any coach at Missouri. So that's not going to play out, though, until next year or the year after at best. Yeah, that's the, the, the far number one thing right now. And, and, and it's not to be diminished. I mean, the best right. way to close the gap against Georgia and Florida, Dave, as you know, is to have players who could play at Georgia and Florida playing for your team. And, you know, it is going to take some time for that talent to get on the field and, and make an impact. But, you know, I do think that, you know, one of the things that Missouri fans are now realizing and, and the reason there's this excitement behind Drinkwitz is they've got a guy who is recruiting at a level that hasn't been seen at Missouri before. And that's exciting. It's fresh. It's new. It's fun. But it's also mandatory because as, as good as Eli Drinkwitz is recruiting, look at the teams he's trying to compete with and look how they're right. recruiting. So, you know, Gary Pinkle wasn't a big fan of the stars and the, and the uh, ranking systems, but the fact is his best teams came after um, a couple seasons of his best recruiting classes. It's right. not, uh, it's not, it's not fake news. 
Um, you get good players, and if they stay and develop, then you get better football teams. Now, with Eli, the challenge is going to be the stay and develop part because he really hasn't had um, experience as a head coach developing right. recruiting classes. Um, you know, he was one year at App State. He's been in assistant places, and, and I don't diminish that experience at all, but we haven't seen him show that he can keep guys on his roster. We haven't seen him show that he can he can you know make guys want to stick around and not chase greener pastures in this what have you done for me late what have you done for me lately transfer era. So I, I think that's the, the the fact that he can get the commitments, get the signings, that's huge and he's doing it. There's no question left now. Can he keep them? Can he can he get them on the field? Can he have two, three, four year starters from those guys? Remains to be seen. And that's now harder than it ever is before. So that's, I think, the off the field thing. It also, you know, on the field, to me, I, I thought we saw some good things. I, I Innovative play caller. He's got, he's got what Davos, when you would call guts, he brings his own, he, he'll, he'll go for big plays. He's not afraid. He'll call games in a way that, that excites fans. To me, the question for Eli, um, and I like too, one, one other thing to add, I like the fact that he found a star of this football team and worked the heck out of them. Yeah. Uh, at least until he talked Tyler Beatty out of playing in the bowl game, whatever happened there, you know, we, we went into the season and no one knew what Tyler Beatty was going to become, including Eli Drinkwitz. But how often at times have we seen college football coaches not ride the hot hand or not find ways to get their best player the ball? He said, no, we're not doing that. Tyler Beatty's going to be the face of this football team. It was the right call. And, and I like that he adjusts to what he has on the fly. Now, offensively, what do you make of the quarterback situation? Because Connor Bazelak, I think, was hurt most of the year. He was not himself. But now he's gone. He's going to go play somewhere else. Brady Cook looked like in the bowl game, like maybe he should have played a little bit earlier. He'll be back along with Tyler Macon. Um, everybody's fired up about Sam Horn. The baseball thing's hanging over his head. But also, even if he doesn't go play baseball, playing as a true freshman in the SEC is a big ask. I, I, Eli is the play caller. He's the offensive coordinator. He's the quarterback's coach. For his offense and his team to be where it can be, he's got to have a sure thing, locked and loaded answer at QB, and he doesn't have that right now. No, and and that's the key, I think, going forward is, and this year proved it, before Missouri can turn the corner, close the gap, whatever phrase you want to move use, they've got to get better at that position. The passing game has to get better because and here's, here's some numbers for you. Now, they had the, the SEC's leading rusher this year in Tyler Beatty, who – did or did not came close to setting Mizzou's single season rushing record. He's still a little bit behind Devin West, but for the regular season, he set the record, ran for 1,600 yards. Yet, this offense still ranked ninth in the SEC in yards per game, 10th in yards per play, ninth in points per game. So, by the SEC standard, this was a below average offense, despite having the best running back or the most productive running back, um, was not the most productive running offense because it was all Beatty. They didn't have other pieces like other teams did. Uh, and what dragged them down was the passing game. There's no doubt about it. Missouri was 11th in the SEC in passing efficiency, uh, 13th in yards per attempt, which is a much better gauge than passing yards is, because a lot of times you just get passing yards because you're behind all the time. So the, the passing game, I don't want to say it was broken because it was clearly compromised by Basilek's injury. Although they did win two of the last three games he started. Uh, they almost won in spite of him against South Carolina and Florida. Uh, Missouri was fourth in turnover margin. Um, so they were doing a good job there. If 
but because they weren't very good in the passing game, and we could say that's quarterback play, we can also say it was not having many dynamic receivers that really could change the game. There's no Jamison Williams on this offense, at least not yet. Uh, that sort of negated how good they were running the ball. And against the best competition, I'd say Texas A&M and Georgia, as far as talent goes, wouldn't say Beatty was a non-factor, but he wasn't who he was, you know, against South Carolina and against Arkansas even and uh, Central Michigan and the teams that he loaded up on. So they've got to fix the quarterback situation. They've got to manage that. I, th I think how Drinkwitz manages that position over the next year, two years, is going to kind of define his trajectory at Missouri. Because if you don't get that right, if you don't settle on the right guy, if you don't develop the right guy, I don't see how this works. I mean, Stetson Bennett at Georgia is kind of the exception to the rule. He is not a five-star guy, not a first-round draft pick, and he's, he's on the doorstep of winning a national title. Everybody else that makes it that far, takes their team to that level, for the most part, is just a, a, a standout uh, college quarterback. And Bennett's had a, a good year. I don't want to take anything away from that. But um, you can't win in this league with a caretaker at that position. And, and like you said, Eli is the quarterback's coach. He's the offensive coordinator. He's got to get that right. And before anybody asks, because they ask all the time, he needs to take some stuff off his plate. He can't be the coordinator. He can't be the quarterback's coach. He needs to be a CEO. That's not why Missouri hired this guy. Like they hired him because he was an offensive play caller. And that's where he made his bones in college football. That's what got him the Appalachian state job. Uh, he's not he's not Missouri's head coach because he's this program builder. He doesn't have that on his resume. He's, he doesn't have that as part of his track record. Uh, he's turned out to be a pretty good recruiter, but he is the head coach at Missouri because of his background as a play caller and as an offensive designer. So I don't understand the notion that he needs to give that up because then you're taking away what is supposed to be his strength and putting somebody else in charge. Uh, so we'll see. He's got one staff uh, move to make. On the offensive staff, he's got to replace Casey Woods as tight ends coach. I, I don't expect him to go out and get some high-profile uh, offensive coordinator and just hand that over to him because that's his baby. That's that's his role. I mean, that's a lot of coaches do both jobs. Uh, most of the best coaches do both jobs, and I, I'd expect him to want to keep doing that. Yeah, a good way for Missouri to waste money would be to hire a name-only offensive coordinator that Drinkwitz then right. continues to call the plays. <laughs> Use that right. money for other places – on your staff, um, and, and that kind of leads us to a good segue here, which is a very much discussed coordinator in Steve Wilkes. Dave, there were times um, you and I were there covering the game where I didn't feel great about it, but I did feel like it kind of, it wasn't alarmist or hot take to ask, hey, like, are you having to have to consider making a change at coordinator in season because Missouri couldn't tackle, they were getting ran over left and right. It was uh, the worst rushing defense in the country to start the season through the first few games. Um, Eli Drinkwitz did not exactly say, no, that's our guy no matter what, but he didn't fire Steve Wilkes, and the defense did show some signs of improving, specifically after Drinkwitz made another change, this one at a defensive line coach. Shethro Franklin is out. Al Davis comes in. Al Davis, who will stay on as the defensive line coach, gets more, more production, um, more energy, it seemed. Um, better performance, certainly from the from the guys on the defensive line across the board. So they found the right guy. Having the wrong guy going into the season, well, that's on Eli Drinkwitz and Steve Wilkes too. But 
it does seem like as we're recording this, there's no signs that Steve Wilkes is not going to get second year on that two-year deal that he got, but there's now no more wiggle room. There's no more adjustment period for Wilkes. Um, I guess the story is kind of that he was in over his head after coming back from the NFL. Sometimes that happens, but uh, that will not be a, a popular excuse next season if this defense comes out and can't play fundamentally sound football. Even though they got better this year as the season went along, Dave, they were still the rush, the worst rushing defense in the SEC at the end of the year. And I think they were the second worst scoring defense behind only Vanderbilt at the end of the year. When you are beneath or only in front of Vanderbilt in terms of defensive rankings, um, no no offense to the Commodores, that's, that's not good for a coordinator and it's not good for a team's chances of winning the East. Yeah, absolutely. Here, here's, here's where Missouri finished in the SEC. Now there's still two teams left playing, but they're not gonna change these numbers or these rankings. Missouri was 13th or 14th in the SEC on defense in yards allowed per game, yards allowed per play, points allowed per game, rushing yards allowed per game, passer rating, opponent's passer rating, 13th. uh, That's really high and way down from last year. uh, 14th in in yards per attempt allowed. So that they allowed the most yards per passing attempt than any team in the league, 108th nationally. So it's not just about the – the, the rush defense, the pass defense was not very good either. Now they only allowed 206 yards per game through the air, mostly because teams didn't have to throw on them. But when they threw, they threw really effectively and efficiently like army did. I'm army didn't throw many passes, but when they did, they connected and they changed the game on those throws. So they've got to get better everywhere. Sacks were up a little bit. Uh, turnovers were up a little bit. Uh, so that's, that's a good sign. They were disruptive more than they were the year before. Um, but like you said, you can't afford to have the early season growing pains next season. They've got to have this defense installed. They've got to have uh, guys identified who are going to be, you know, the main rotational players. Um, I think they'll have a better sense of that this off season with a full spring football, you know, Steve Wilkes isn't going to need six months to get adjusted to the hash marks being different on the college field as they are in the NFL uh, I, I don't think he'll spend the first month of the season, season deciding if he's going to be on the sideline or up in the press box like he did this year. So you would hope some continuity there helps and pays off. Uh, I think it'll help too. Their, their defensive line returns or, or is expected to return. These days with the portal, you never know. I mean, <laughs> they can transfer by the time this posts. We got to be right. careful. I mean, short, shortly before <laughs> we started recording this, Missouri confirmed that Sean Robinson's in the transfer portal, the quarterback turned safety. Uh, which I think is a, a not a, a great loss for them because I thought he brought a lot to the table. Um, but they do have pieces in place across the defense to where I don't think it should be – I think it's fair to expect this defense to be considerably better and be closer to the version we saw in the last month of the season. There's no Nick Bolton leaving this defense, leaving some you know wide-open uh, spot for uh, an impact player. They're going to lose a few guys here and there, but – Nobody to that uh, to that pedigree at all. So, and they also, I, I think they they added the Oklahoma State transfer over the weekend. Jaden Jernigan, D tackle, coming off the number four defense in the country, played a ton of snaps for the Cowboys, and he's going to add to that rotation up front. So, uh, I, people should have higher expectations for the defense. They're not going to challenge Georgia or Alabama or anything like that. Um, but definitely, you got to get out of the bottom there of the SEC. I mean, you can't be you can't be swapping stat rankings with Vanderbilt if you expect this team to turn the corner close the gap bridge the gap whatever it is you want to do 
seemed like for years and years, um, Missouri always knew who was next up at linebacker. Yeah. Um, you know, we went from, and then there were years where that player was great, like Nick Bolton. And there were years where that player was solid. I mean, look at like a like a Mike Shearer before he before he got hurt. Um, and this year, it seemed like for the first time, there was kind of like, oh no, who's that guy? And you know, Blaze Aldridge was supposed to be the guy. He wasn't. He got better. He got benched. He came back. He got his job back. And it was it, there. Just wasn't a steady presence. Um, how do they fix that? moving forward, do they have an answer for that? Because I think a lot of us spent a lot of time this season going, man, we knew Nick Bolton was good, but maybe we didn't realize just how much stuff he cleaned up for this defense before he became a chief. Yeah, Aldridge is one guy I'm sure they wish they could have for another year because by the end of the season, he was playing really well. I I, I put him down as my choice for the team's newcomer of the year. Weren't a lot of great options, but the end of the season version of Blaze Aldridge was a, a, a very – solid SEC linebacker. I thought Chad Bailey quietly had a pretty good year playing next to him. Once they finally figured out that he was one of their two best linebackers, it took him a while to figure that out. But um, as of, as of recording this, he's on paper to return next year. You never know. Uh, Devin Nicholson struggled. You know, he would, he would have eligibility left. I don't know if he's in the plans to be a starter. Uh, That's, that looks like a spot where they really should address and, and shop the transfer market to find an experienced guy. Um, they do have some young linebackers that they recruited in last year's class and this incoming class, but that's a tough, that's a really tough position at this level to expect a freshman or a redshirt freshman to play heavy, heavy snaps. Cause there's just so much involved in that position. So that, that definitely is one of those areas uh, to watch going into the season, going into spring ball to see who's going to step up and, and play there. I think they're okay at safety. You know, they've got Martez Manuel coming back. JC Carlisle had a nice year. They need to add some depth, figure out some depth. Corner is going to be a bit of a question mark. You lose the two Tulsa transfers. Uh, Ennis Rakestraw is coming off the torn ACL. DJ Jackson played a lot there at the end of the year as a true freshman. Um, so you got to, you got to solidify, you know, that group there, but up front, I, th- I think they're in good shape. Um, Isaiah McGuire had a really good year. You know, he was, he's not an elite First team all SEC defensive end, but he, he'd be right there as a second team guy. Trajan Jeffcoat, disappointing start to the year, played better down the stretch, already announced he's coming back. Uh, Makai Wingo coming off a really promising freshman year. And then Darius Robinson, I thought, played well down the stretch too. So I think up front, they're fine. Now, I'm not, let's not make the mistake of saying it's, it's the strength of the team because we made that mistake last year. And so did the team, frankly, not just us. And uh, they really struggled early in the year, but maybe having a full year of Al Davis as the uh, position coach will pay off. And, um, you know, they just need to keep building some depth there. So I I think they should be okay up front, but man, they can't afford to start the year like they did this past fall when it was just, just a nightmare for that defense. Well, that, that kind of raises the question, the the way they start next season is tough. (laughs) Yeah. Their schedule is their schedule is a bear, uh, especially early in the year. So, um, you know, that's kind of a, this is the, the moment that I think the Missouri football team is in right now. It's, it's kind of reality check moment. I don't think there are people going, oh, my God, this is this is not working. This is going to. But I do think um, expectations have become more realistic and there's been kind of a, um, a settling in of sorts for Eli Drinkwitz. And I, I thought we saw him go through that this season, Dave, where he said, look, I. I was probably guilty of whipping up expectations. Um, and, and he has a hard time not doing that because he likes, he likes that part of the job and, and right. I'll give him credit. He likes to mix it up. He likes to throw zingers. He's got some Steve Spurrier in him, but the one thing that makes that to me 
enjoyable to watch to cover is that he also can take his medicine. Now he doesn't like it. Right. <laughs> he, he likes to, you know, rip his hat off and pull his hair out and, and kind of takes on that, that, that what was me thing after games, but he does take his medicine when it turns against him. And we heard him say this season, yeah, I was probably guilty of getting expectations up a little bit too much. And now, and now they're, now I'm kind of paying the price, but he, he gets it. And he also, I think, continues to give people something to look forward to. And that's in the recruiting. If Eli Drinkwitz had the 35th ranked recruiting class right now, or 40th or 50th, then I, I don't think people would be very happy, but I think that that's what he's balancing right now. He's, he's giving you a, a, a start that's <clears throat> decent despite some difficulties, you know, the fact that he showed up when COVID was, was ruining college football um, in his first year, the fact that he played with the hurt quarterback all of his second year and had to really work through some things on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and, and the fact that you're going into year three with, you know, more or less a 500 record and this, this hope of this help, this wave, this army of recruits coming. Now, will that happen? <laughs> I don't know. It's never been less certain now than ever before with, the fact that there are guys transferring who've never played. Um, so it's, we're in, we're in uncharted waters here when it comes to, you know, predicting what recruiting classes will turn into, but he does still seem to have this kind of selling point of the best is yet to come. And that's, he has to continue to have seasons that, that prove that and that suggests that. And that's kind of what I think, I think that's what this year was to me. It was, it was as, as bad of a year as you can have, while still having people with an optimistic lean moving forward. If they would have gone, if they were on three games or four games, then it's really hard to go, well, you know, but you know, you're more or less 500 headed into a bowl game that I thought going in was going to be actually pretty decent. And then it turned into a joke, um, you know, with all of the opt-outs and everything. So I don't really even know how much you read into that bowl game, but it was about bottom line for keeping expectations up for next year is kind of where I think it all came out in the end. Yeah, I, I think this year was humbling for him, and a humble is not a word I think many people associate with Eli Drinkwitz, but he's he said it publicly. I know he said it privately that, that football can humble you, and, and I think this year did. And he's a bottom-line guy. He, he's not going to go out on the recruiting trail and out to the, uh, you know, the booster circuit this year, and he's not going to be touting their wins over Florida and South Carolina because he, he knows that that would, would fall on deaf ears. But he realizes that hey, they didn't they didn't really beat anybody of substance this year. They beat two teams, two FBS teams that finished with winning records: Central Michigan and South Carolina. And South Carolina only had a winning record because they beat uh, North Carolina in their bowl game. So he hasn't really beaten anybody yet, and I think people understand that. Um, but they also, like you mentioned, they understand what's on the way. And had they not gotten a commitment from Luther Burden, um, maybe maybe the mood would be a little bit different coming off of a losing season or a, a 500 regular season, but that's what inspires hope and, and excitement uh, from the fans. I will say I'd like to see that translate into tangible excitement, not just Twitter excitement. Uh, will fans buy more tickets this off season? Will they fill that stadium more? Or is it just, is it a lot of, um, social media excitement that really doesn't mean anything. So that's, that's going to be, uh, and that's why I put Mizzou fans on my list of people to watch in 2022. We're going to see if, if the, uh, if the excitement 
on Twitter translates into the presence at the stadium and at the arenas because people talk a big game um, because it's easy when all you have to do is press send. It's something else when you have to commit to being there and being part of the NIL process, which you've written about a lot like that. And Eli Drinkwitz is putting that on the fans and on the business owners around the state to be engaged in this process of bringing recruits in and keeping recruits on campus and, and, and playing their role. So we'll find out, but I think, I think 2022 for Mizzou sports and this football program, especially is as big of a year for the fans to make a statement than it is necessarily for the head coach and for the unknown starting quarterback and for the rookie wide receiver and for the second year defensive coordinator. So we're going to learn a lot. Uh, Are people committed to making this program uh, more of an SEC contender or is it going to be kind of more of the same? Uh, Missouri was last in SEC home attendance this year for the 13 bowl eligible teams. And um, I, I think that says a lot about kind of the hesitancy of fans to dive in before they know what the final product is going to be. Um, so we'll find out. Yeah, I mean, you, you don't want to – I've been accused of venturing off into fan shaming, so I'll Yeah, I don't like doing not, that. But that's... I'll do that here, but the numbers speak for themselves. The attendance, the tickets sold, um, simply do a, a cursory search on the name, image, likeness deals that are being handed out at places that are directly competing with Missouri for players, and you'll, you'll see what, what you need – to see um, if you want to swim with the with the big sharks in the SEC, you have to do things at some level like they do. You have to do things that get Luther Burden, um, and it can't be Luther Burden and and that's it. It's right. gonna be that's got to be the start of the process, and um, or not, and and that's fine too. But you're not going to be getting picked for great bowl games if you're not sending people to games, and you can't then complain too much about. Your, your bowl game winding up in the bragging rights game if the SEC has no uh, has no reason in their eyes to, to give you um, great treatment when it comes to handing things like that out. Um, and this is something that I don't think gets talked about enough. Name, image, likeness, money, it matters. And it, it's, a, it's a big deal. Um, you know, we're just now kind of finding out just how it will be used. Some schools like, you know, like Texas A&M seem to be way ahead of others. But you know what else matters? And, and I hear this from coaches a lot. And I, I believe it because if you can kind of transport yourself back to, to where you were when you were 17, 18 years old, you might think the same thing. When a player goes on a visit and he walks into a stadium, whether it's basketball or football, there's a, there's a moment where they imagine themselves playing there. And when there's more empty seats than not, um, or when there's, when there's no energy in the building, um, it, it doesn't make a good impression. And especially when that kid went to Ohio State or Alabama or Georgia or Kentucky, for that matter, in football or basketball lately, um, and they see a different experience. And, you know, that's not knocking Mizzou fans. I'm just telling you like it is. If you go to a home football game at Tennessee and then go to a home football game at Missouri, and if you put yourself in the eyes of a player, you're going to have a different impression. So, you know, I'm not saying you got to build up 100,000 stadium and, you know, and, and, and that's that's not what I'm saying, but you better have energy. You better have um, you better have a, a product that sells when you walk through the gates if you're a recruit. And I think that's something that I know Desiree Reed Francois has to be concerned about, both on the football and basketball sides. And it, the coach's ultimate job is to make that happen and to provide excitement and make people want to come. 
But I think the coaches are now saying as much as we've ever heard, Dave, both Conzo Martin, Andy Eli Drinkwitz, meet us halfway, um, meet us, meet us there. And, and, and it will get there a lot faster. Um, you know, Eli has really more than Conzo really every time he's gained an inch in recruiting has put that right back on fans. If you want this to keep happening, you got to make these things happen. And now more than ever, whether you like it or not, now more than ever, the fans, the boosters, the supporters have a direct influence on the product through name, image, likeness. That's just the truth. And I'm not saying whatever you do with that information, that's up to, that's up to you. Right. There has been, there's never been more of a direct ability to influence your team that you want to see win than right now. And there are teams that are taking full advantage of that. Um, there are also teams that are worrying about the rules later and that they're going to be asking for, for uh, forgiveness instead of permission. But uh, the fact that that thing is, is changing college sports as we, as we watch it, um, is Missouri going to keep pace or not? I think that's a huge question for, for 2022. Dave, I wanted to ask you this, because I, I have one. Um, was there one moment to you that, you know, best and worst moment of the, of the college football season, maybe on the field, um, something that you thought really swayed things uh, for the better or the worst? To me, the positive that jumps out is beating Florida in overtime. I know it, it wasn't the Gators that, uh, you know, we thought might be – down there at SEC Media Days, but Eli Drinkwitz being being able to basically get Dan Mullen fired after yeah. the shots he fired at SEC Media Days. Florida is still a huge brand. The gutsy play call uh, in overtime, you know, the way Drinkwitz managed that game to me that that kind of rekindled the Drinkwitz hype a little bit um, when the Tigers had been had been kind of licking their wounds after that Georgia loss. They it came out after the South Carolina win. You know, it wasn't a great season, but you still got wins over South Carolina, a new coach there that has a lot of excitement going. And you, you showed Dan Mullen the door before uh, before Sam Pittman laid the smackdown. That kind of felt like the 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 best thing that happened for Mizzou on the field this year. Yeah, that was the high water mark. I think that was the the that was the feel good moment of the year. Um, it was kind of Connor Bazelak's last stand. You know, he played after that, but not very well. And, um, yeah, I agree with you for sure. Without that win, they don't play in a bowl game because that's what made them bowl eligible. And they they weren't going to beat Arkansas the next week. (laughs) I would say the low moment might have been when Bazelak got hurt at Vanderbilt. But think about it. After that game, they lost to Georgia and they lost to Arkansas. He didn't play against Georgia. He did play against Arkansas. I don't think they're winning those games either way. And they beat South Carolina and Florida with him out there, but hurt. So I don't, I don't know how much that injury really did impact the bottom line of their season. So I'll go a little bit further. I say that not the, not the worst point. The worst point was that first quarter against Tennessee. I mean, that just (laughs) total carnage. Um, That, that was, was that, was that when Wilkes broke out the, uh, the bizarre defense? Yes. Yes. And then later, you know, later in the season to his credit, really uh, blamed himself for going against his instincts there and trying something different. But I, I thought that interception Bazelak threw on the first play of overtime at Boston college was such a deflating moment because had they, they Mevis had just kicked the 56 yarder to send it to overtime defense gave up a touchdown. And then right when you think, okay, this has a chance to be this epic comeback win on the road that maybe can set the tone for the season he throws the pick and he was aggressive because he last year 
everyone said, oh, he couldn't stretch the field. He didn't have the arm to throw it deep. And then he does, and it cost them. It's the interception. And it just felt like – didn't feel like the season was over by any means because it was still late September. But it just felt like what, a, what an opportunity there to get a nice win on the road, come home, feel good about yourself. And instead, you know, I think that put them at 500 and they just never really got over that, it seemed like. So, uh, and I, you know, it was kind of the, not the beginning of the end for him, but he ends up throwing 11 picks and just never got right. Uh, I'm really curious and interested to see where he ends up. I still think he can be a winning quarterback for a power five team, but it just seemed like all the progress he made as a redshirt freshman the year before just kind of just slowly uh, sort of evaporated this past year. And then with the injury, he was never the same again. Yeah, the Boston College one is really the game where, you know, you can't you can't look back at it and say, well, maybe that wasn't such a bad loss. I think they finished, what, six and six? Um, you know, Kentucky, Kentucky was great this year. Um, it didn't get enough credit once again. That was one of the better bowl games. Um, their, their win against Iowa. Yeah. Um, you know, Tennessee was a surprise in the East. A&M is A&M. Great year um, for, for them. They knock off Alabama. Um, that's that's you know, they had a they had a, not the year they wanted because they want to win a national championship. But there's not really much shame in losing that team. Georgia playing for a national championship. Arkansas, another surprise SEC team. So really, the Boston College one is probably the one that. Yeah. That once you factor in the way the season's played out, you you probably will keep Eli Drinkwitz up a little bit at night this off season. I, I agree with you on that one too. Um, is there anything else we need to, we need to wrap up Dave to put this season to bed. Uh, you did a great job kind of uh, the, the season book and it was in um, it was in the post-dispatch. You can still find it at stltoday.com breaking out big numbers, um, big moments over the course of the season as Eli Drinkwitz kind of shifts gears into year three. And it's going to be a, a shift on the fly with transfers leaving with transfers coming in. Missouri has seen both already um, a lot of interest in Sam Horn and what his future will be as he is not planning on showing up for spring practices and wants to see what happens this baseball season. And then the major league baseball draft, which as of right now, Dave, we don't even know when that will be because yeah. of the ongoing major league baseball lockout. Um, so that's a whole nother set of wrinkles to, to monitor there. Um, anything else before we uh, hit the road? You know, one, one stat I forgot to get to, and this, this says a lot about the direction of this program. I looked up of the, of the players on offense, the top 20 players in snaps played this year, top 20 on offense, 14 either signed or committed under Barry Odom. So the vast majority of the offensive players on this team are not quote unquote, Eli Drinkwitz's players. So I think it's fair to, you got to keep that in mind. The defense was more so his players, 12 of the top 20 um, were, were uh, his guys, guys that he brought in either transfers or freshmen that he signed. So except for just a few guys on offense, guys like Mike Maietti and Kiki Chisholm, uh, Lovett and Cooper, who, who played decent amount this year but didn't really produce a lot, this is, this is still Barry Odom's offense, or at least Barry Odom's staff's offense. So I, I, think, I think we got to keep that in mind. Starting in 2022, though, and definitely 2023, this is Eli's offense. It's going to be his offense. And then I think it's, it's, it's more fair to really measure him as a play caller, as an offensive coach, because these are his handpicked guys that will be running the offense. So just, just to keep my and, – and really, too, the best players Missouri's had on offense, Bazelak last year and then Beatty this year were both Barry Odom guys. So we got to keep that in mind. 
and Larry Roundtree and uh, uh, and Larry Borum, who is Larry I think they're building statues of him in Chicago. So a little uh, maybe belated recruiting love for Barry Odom. He was knocked for quote not being able to recruit, but some of the guys, including Nick Bolton, um, that turned out pretty well. Dave uh, oh, yeah. were actually recruited by by Odom and, and his staff. So that's what that's how recruiting works. You have to remember to look at it. Um, after the rankings roll in too and see if the guys show up and stay on the field. But it's also absolutely um, something that has to drive interest in in the future and optimism. Eli Drinkwitz has captured that. We'll see if he can take a step toward making the two meet in 2022. Good stuff, man. Keep up the great work. Encourage folks to check out all of our Mizzou coverage at stltoday.com and keep an eye out for our Eye on the Tigers video editions as well. For Dave Matter, I'm Ben Fredrickson. We'll talk to you next time.